He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. The public service, including the police and security agencies, has failed dramatically in not protecting the Muslim community and the country from the Christchurch terrorist attack. While little might have been able to be done when the gunmen opened fire, there was a multiplicity of actions that could, should, but were not taken by public sector actors in the years prior to the attacks. Had they been taken when they should have, the gunman is likely never to have got to the door of the mosques. This is a stark summary of hundreds of pages of evidence from the Islamic Women's Council submitted to the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the mosque attacks. The pages document repeated failings to take the warnings about growing Islamophobia seriously enough, dismissive attitudes towards the female Muslim community leaders, and what the council members believe were power games among parts of the public service, rather than a focus on helping those in urgent need. Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This programme explores the Islamic Women's Council submission to the Commission. While all evidence has been presented in closed sessions, the Council has shared its evidence exclusively with Insight. In the middle of last year, members of the Council's administration team gathered in Hamilton to begin pulling together the evidence they wanted to take to the Commission. After years of fighting to make progress and to get some sort of traction with agencies across government, they recorded their thoughts as they scrolled through hundreds of emails and documents, sometimes snatching a moment between taking classes at a local high school. This is Olia, and um, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about <clears throat> the toll that this um, stuff is already taking on. Um, I, the first thing is, I don't think that the Royal Commission or anyone, maybe even the government, realizes how much documentation um, we have um, and how much correspondence we have with government officials um, going back and forth and saying how urgent our needs were um, and how many times we raised um, the issue of the alt-right and Islamophobia um, and our concerns about our safety um, in the community and what this production has done. The Royal Commission was set up by the government after the shootings and is tasked with investigating what state sector agencies knew about the individual's activities before the attack, what, if anything, they did with that information, what measures agencies could have taken to prevent the attack and what measures agencies should take to prevent such attacks in the future. It's led by a Supreme Court Justice, the Honourable Sir William Young, who early on acknowledged the work was of the utmost gravity and the independent report should be delivered as a matter of urgency. In an early media release he said, New Zealanders, including Muslim communities, rightly expect assurances state sector agencies are doing all they should to ensure the public safety and protection. Back in Hamilton, the hours going into re-reading and reliving the battle to be heard are proving to be stressful in themselves. The women spearheading the effort, the Islamic Women's Councils Anjum Rahman and Aliyah Sizen, both work. They have families to look after and they're heavily involved in community activities in addition to the work for the council. 
Constantly chasing public servants, writing requested documents and attending meetings has brought them close to burnout. As she goes through the files, Anjan Raman reflects on how exhausted they all felt, subjected to constant demands, but offered no help. It's just upsetting and it brings back all the, the stress and the anxiety and the, it brings back yeah, the frustration plus everything that happened on 15th March and things that might have been done or prevented that weren't it's just like you can't put it behind you it's, it's just bringing it all up again and it, of course the events back in 2017 were deeply deeply stressful it was, it was the manipulation and it was the dishonesty and the game playing and the, the discounting of, of who you are as a person that you're, you're not capable somehow. Or that you don't have good intentions or that, yeah. The 2017 event they talked about as they sought through the evidence was supposed to be a moment of hope, a high-level meeting when finally they would be taken seriously. It wasn't to be. The group had been liaising with government agencies for years before 2017. The focus had been on educational difficulties, challenges in gaining employment, especially appropriate work for those with high-level qualifications, marginalisation and the increasingly negative perception of Muslims. Events overseas were having an effect on the community here, which now numbers 57,000 according to the 2018 census. The rise of ISIS and the war in Syria all resulted in an increased and suspicious gaze being brought to bear. In 2014, the then Prime Minister John Key announced new laws to deal with New Zealanders recruited by terrorists. The community here felt they were being asked to justify what was happening overseas. The media attention was intense and often negative. The Women's Council had years of experience working with youth and community. They knew they needed support to begin answering the needs among New Zealand's Muslims and turned to the government for help. The struggle began. One of those who did step in to back their cause was the Race Relations Commissioner at the time, Dame Susan Devoy. She remembers writing to the State Services Commissioner in late 2016 to set out her fears for the Muslim community. I said that for our four years, we had been trying to address the issues for our Muslim community associated with countering violent extremism. And I went on to say that despite investment in security and intelligence, there had been no resourcing financial or otherwise to support this marginalised community. And so I wrote out a frustration to um, Peter Hughes with my concerns and a proposed framework for addressing them. She says the Islamic Women's Council were not only aware of the issues, they had solutions, but they needed assistance to make things happen. The problem was that they were always um, you know, doing this in a volunteer role, uh, as well as working full-time, frustrated, exhausted, didn't have the resources, didn't know where to go for the resources, um, are limited because of their you know, Islamic faith, they can't access lotto or gaming funds and things like this, and so... You know, it wasn't something that was insurmountable. With the weight of the Human Rights Commission behind them, the Council secured a meeting with the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet in January 2017 and again raised how urgent the need for action was. They later found out that no minutes had been taken of what was discussed.
In another ray of hope, the council was invited to address a heads of government meeting just a few months later. Pretty much everyone in the bureaucracy was there, from the State Services Commission to police, education and foreign affairs and trade. The idea was for agencies to develop plans of action, for programmes creating social cohesion to be worked out across the whole of government. But despite this, Dame Susan says there were no outcomes from any of the many meetings. No programmes, no actions, nothing was put in place. The meetings were um, uh, badly disorganised. In some some ways they were petty and personal in my opinion. The working groups changed, the leaders of the working groups changed, the um, onus was put back on the Muslim community to develop their own business cases and... Uh, more work was put upon them. And and often in the case, I know that some of those uh, Muslims will tell you that they were expected to teach, train, educate um, people that worked in those organisations, like the Office of Ethnic Communities and others, to uh, teach them about cultural competency or understanding um, of the Muslim community. And that doesn't seem um, particularly right or fair, particularly in, in 2019 and the way the world is today. The council was suggesting that $250,000 be put into communities to help address the issues they were seeing. They had a sense of how bad things were, but they didn't know how bad. They were being asked for evidence to secure government funds, but they needed the money to gather the data. Anjum Rahman finds it heartbreaking to think of the amount of time and effort put into trying to warn people about the growing problems and trying to get plans in place to improve security and cohesion. We were meeting with so many public servants, um, top-level people with the State Services Commission, with the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, and we were putting our case in good faith, and we were engaging with them in good faith in the expectation that it would make a difference. And to hear that in one particular meeting... There isn't even any record of the meeting and that particular department didn't even know who we had met with. And there's no record of what was discussed, let alone action taken. Almost immediately after the attacks, the Office of Ethnic Communities granted the Islamic Women's Council $15,000 for work in Canterbury and 40000 for activities nationwide. I'm Philippa Tolley, and you're listening to an Insight program uncovering the Islamic Women's Council's struggle to have its warnings about an urgent need for action to counter violent extremism taken seriously. And the other things I guess that struck me was the quality of your evidence, the quality of the contacts that you had here, being incredibly tenacious, you know, very surprisingly tenacious and just absolutely persistent. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. I think it's that all that will be very helpful. That's lawyer Francis Joychild QC, who helped shape the screeds of documentation into a detailed submission. She says the government didn't help the community when it was striving to prevent anyone from their own numbers becoming radicalised or from the consequences of growing Islamophobia and alt-right activity. She says what strikes her most about the evidence that the council has gathered is the attitude and performance of the public service. What stood out for me is incredible ineptitude. Um, People ticking boxes, going through the motions, um, just a waste of taxpayers' money um, because of their ineffectiveness. 
and yeah, it's I've been really shocked, you know, at thinking, gosh, that's my taxpayers' money going into people, you know, it's all words, it's all words and no action, and I think that the information that people like my clients will give, and no doubt other people. It's very important that we have a public debate on the ethos of the public service. Where are we going? It's become so politicised now, and I, I, from my observations as someone who's liaised with the public sector for 30 years as a lawyer, I'm really shocked at the changes that have happened um, over that time. Originally, the pressure was on as the Royal Commission was due to report back in the first half of December last year. The task was always huge, and many, especially in the Muslim community, said it would be too rushed. As the deadline drew nearer, the final reporting date was extended until the end of April this year. With so many deaths, so many injured, and families devastated, Anjum Rahman was motivated to work on the submission by a need for justice. We've been going through all this material and we know it wasn't even just our organisation that was speaking to them. And to ignore it and not do anything, we can't continue to work like that as a country. It's not acceptable. And we can't have this happen again, not to our community, not to the Jewish community, to the rainbow community. I mean, the level of hate just keeps ramping up and up. And... Unless we do things differently, nothing will change. And that's what this commission is about and why it is so, so important to us because we need to, we need to shine a light. She says trying to work with a system that seemed not to care about her community, not to think her worthy of responding to again and again, has been a sort of institutional racism. But given the harassment and negativity they had experienced so many times in the past, even over relatively minor things such as introducing a women-only night at the local pool in Hamilton, Muslim women's leaders were fearful of the backlash they would receive if they criticised the public sector. And we knew that if we went public and said the public service is not responding to us and politicians are not responding to us, all we would have got is who you think you are and go back to your own country and why should you be treated differently? And, you know, they, we just would have been so unsafe. A belief in democracy and quality government were two of the compelling forces behind Aliyah Den Sizen's drive to put evidence in front of the Commission. She wants people to be held accountable for not treating them fairly. It wasn't just at, at the front desk level. It was all the way up to the highest person in, in the public service and up to our ministers that we sought and asked for help. Um, help with what? Help with the growing Islamophobia. Help with the, the um, impact and the perception of Muslims in this country. A lot of that was being impacted globally, and we had no control over that. We have control over what happens within the borders of New Zealand, which is what we were saying to the government. You have control over and help us here because what's happening 6,000 kilometers away is beyond our control. But um, what happens in here, you you can help us with. And there was just this complete or appeared to be um, complete dismissive nature of, or dismissed, we were dismissed. 
Born and raised in the United States, Alia Densaizen didn't wear hijab until she moved here. But as a building alarm goes off nearby, she tells me she feels in her heart that if she had been raising concerns and not wearing hijab, she would have been treated differently. And it was the fact that I was seen as a Muslim woman and my voice, um, even though strongly advocating all the way up to the top um, of the public service, was just completely discounted. And that I, I had the second in charge um, email me and said, your issues are well rehearsed. And I replied to him, they are only well rehearsed because we've had to say them so often. And that basically, you know, these are real issues, but we have to keep repeating them because you're not addressing them. Um, but they, he just completely discounted what we were saying. How does that make you feel? I'm angry. Um, and guilty. On um, the day of the attacks, you know, what was the following day that I had to face my friend who lost her son? And um, I didn't get heard. And um, this was someone that's as close to me as my sisters. And her children are important to me. And I spent part of my holiday, my summer holiday with them. And I remember seeing her son the last time walking down the street in Queenstown with his daughter and his wife happily. And I... Well, you know, and I do, I feel like maybe I could have done more, but I don't know where. The friend Alia was talking about was Dr. Maysoon Salama, the national coordinator of the Islamic Women's Council. Her son, 33-year-old Atta Alain, was killed in the attack on the Al-Nur Mosque. Her husband, Mohammed Alain, was seriously injured. Late last year, she was in Hamilton to join her sisters from the Islamic Women's Council to present their submission to the Royal Commission. Insight was invited to be there as well, and although the council had decided to share their submission, the meeting would still be closed. Before the three women and their lawyer went behind closed doors, Mason Salama told me that while being there was very, very hard, she had to be strong to work for a hopefully better future. I feel a great responsibility to be here, you know, especially for my loss and the loss of the community, the 51 lives, you know, and I feel we need to have justice, you know, so uh, I feel it's really very important to come and participate because I feel the responsibility towards the whole community at large, um, Muslims and non-Muslims, and I hope, you know, that we can help the Royal Commission to come up with a transparent report and... um, yeah, and hopefully, you know, it will be um, something that good comes about it in the future for future safety of generations to come. Hi. Uh, hi. How are you? How are you? Nice to see you. Lovely to see you. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. The meeting was to go on for most of the day. O my Lord, expand my breast for me and make my affairs easy for me and loosen the knot from my tongue that they may understand my words.
After many hours, the women emerged. I think today's meeting has given us hope that people have listened. Based on their questions, they understand what we needed. And I think that they, that hope is, is positive. After a day of going through the submissions yet again, Anjan Rahman is drained, exhausted and resigned over what will happen next. It will depend on what comes out in the report. It will depend what happens when the government picks up the report and what recommendations that they will take up and whether those get through. Um, So, you know, it's just impossible to see what may or may not happen. We just have to go through the process. And the list of recommendations put forward by the Islamic Women's Council is comprehensive. Right at the top is reform of the public service. They say government agencies ignored requests for the very sorts of programmes the United Nations had identified in its 2015 plan to prevent violent extremism. Aliyah Densaizen says the public service needs to be accountable, to work together and to stop defending their own patch. There needs to be oversight of the public service more than one ombudsman. There needs to be a go-to person when things appeared not to be going right. Um, And not just a go-to person, but probably an ethics or advisory panel to oversee and make sure that it is working. There needs to be horizontal collaboration with ministries and a structure where there's not competition for resources between ministries, which is what happened in our case. There needs to be some consequences for public servants that aren't honest. And the public service, need those consequences need to have some bite um, because there were misrepresentations regularly in documents um, about our community to superiors. And, and if it goes like that, the information that finally reaches the top is not going to be accurate. The council believes there's more work to do to ensure firearms licences are only issued to those who will be a safe pair of hands. They want applicants, or those seeking renewal, checked against hate crime records and membership of hate or supremacist groups before a licence is issued. They also recommend reviewing licences every two years instead of the current ten. Aliyah Densaizen wants the whole of government to work together to develop ways of preventing extremism, with a focus on strengthening resilience and connection in vulnerable groups. They've been focusing on the back end. Um, The back end in the sense of when things have gone bad and they're focusing on one or two individuals, um, they... They have, they have put huge amounts of resources into surveilling and, and countering violence, I guess. And our thing is, are we going to continually do this if, if it was needed, which is questionable um, in most cases. But um, if it was needed, are we going to keep doing this through for the rest of our lives, for, for decades and decades? Or are we going to invest in the front end, which is about building societies and communities so that they don't feel disenfranchised and don't feel disconnected and don't feel isolated and therefore don't go into those areas of extremism? This is not just for the Muslim community. You would find it now um, very openly with people who are feeling isolated related to, to the white supremacy movements that are out there and impacting us. Often it's it's a form of isolation or not feeling part of a community. 
The Council also recommends a system for reporting and collating hate crime and hate speech complaints, and for this to be linked to security agencies' databases. They want apologies and reparation for economic loss as a result of the attacks, not covered by the likes of ACC. And not least, they want a personal apology from the State Services Commissioner to the heads of the Islamic Women's Council, the Muslim community and the country as a whole, for what they say are the failings of the security services and the public service to adequately respond to persistent requests for help and support. But for all this work, what does Anjum Rahman feel will be the outcome? She struggles to have confidence in the process after so many years, desperately urging people to take the need for preventative action seriously, when their desperate efforts were dismissed and belittled in one instance as Anjum and Alia's project. She believes it won't be possible to gauge whether the Royal Commission's work has made a difference until at least a year later, when they can see who is taking accountability, who has publicly apologised, and if there is any legislative reforms or other work underway. But fundamental change, Anjum Rahman is uncertain. Because it's about power and the people that have power currently have the ability to keep power. And it's very, very difficult to dislodge that and they find ways around being accountable or having to change. Um, A lot of it will depend on New Zealand, the New Zealand public, and how much they are willing to stand beside us and behind us and to push with us for that change. It really will. And after the attacks, that was my challenge to New Zealand. So it's all very well to come and lay flowers at the mosque and have a cry and a hug. But what are you going to do? What are you actually going to do to counter fascism? in this country and to counter white supremacy. And I will keep asking that question. And we'll see who steps up. That programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley, based on exclusive access granted by the Islamic Women's Council to their submission to the Royal Commission on the Mosque Attacks. If you'd like to keep up with some great Insight listening, do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, on the anniversary of the Christchurch shootings, we revisit the restaurant owner who was injured in the attacks and the impact on his business and staff. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you listening, and do join us again next time.